This is recording number 10778 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the fourth message in the Tough Stuff series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, August 10, 2008. This message is titled, The Passage. First Corinthians chapter 15, and then when you get there, park something uh, to keep your place and turn to the gospel of John, John chapter 11. And we're going to continue our study this morning, our, our series of messages called Tough Stuff. And today we're going to be dealing with the subject of death. The title of this message is called The Passage. So I'm going to ask you to, to follow along with me as I read, beginning... In John chapter 11 at verse 17. I'm not going to make much comment about these passages. They're they're sizable chunks that we're going to read. So just get prepared to to, uh, not doze off on me here. Uh, But we're going to allow these passages from John 11 and 1 Corinthians 15. To sort of uh, uh, create a backdrop upon which um, uh, the, the, the discussion that we have this morning around God's word will be. Uh, uh, framed. So verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Let me explain that. Uh, Jesus had three very dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were brother and two sisters. Uh, Jesus was in another uh, part of Palestine and received word. Uh, He'd been sent for, actually, because Lazarus was very, very ill. And Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to come and do something to take care of their brother. And uh, if you read the whole context of this passage, you'll find that Jesus purposefully remained where he was. Not indifferent to the need of his brother, but, or to his friend, their brother. But he had greater purposes in mind. So he remained where he was um, for a time. And then... Uh, convinced his disciples that he needed to go to Bethany, which was just outside of Jerusalem. And his disciples really tried to get him to change that plan because the the scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, had already pronounced their intentions to uh, do Jesus in. And they didn't want to get anywhere close to Jerusalem. But Jesus was had his mind made up, so they all decided, okay, well, if he's going to go to his death, we'll go with him. And they follow him to Bethany. But by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has already died and he's been in the tomb for four days. So that's what that refers to in verse 17. Uh, Verse 19. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here. My brother would not have died. Now, you can imagine that there's an awful lot being said uh, between the lines of that one sentence. I don't understand, Jesus. You could have prevented this. Why didn't you come? Have, have you ever found yourself, if not praying, something on that order, thinking that? Jesus, certainly, 
you could have done something about this. Why didn't you? And that question just hangs there, and Jesus doesn't answer it. He, he addresses the real issue, but not the why question. And that's what, you know, that in those times when we've experienced some kind of loss or difficulty, that's what we want, is the why question answered. But you know what? It's really not what we need. The why question being answered is not what we need. What we need in those moments is to know that Jesus is with us and will never leave us and never forsake us and that his plans and purposes are best and can be trusted. That's really what we need. And that's what Jesus, uh, that's how he responds. Look at verse 25. This is Jesus' answer to the why question. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. Dear one, that's what we need to know. When the why question screams in our brain, that's what we need to know the answer to. Who is the one that's with us? He is the Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the other passage I asked you to, to mark or, or get uh, situated with. We're going to begin reading at verse uh, 26. Paul the Apostle is writing to a church in the city of Corinth. And he says in verse 26, The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Verse 35. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. When it says, foolish one, what you sow, we're not talking about needle and thread. We're talking about when you sow, like when you sow seed. And when you put seed in the ground, there's an actual death that happens first before the life begins to, to, um, to generate. And, and that's why it says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. Verse 37. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be. In other words, the seed you put in the ground looks nothing like what will eventually uh, come out of the soil. Uh, what you sow, you do not sow. Uh, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases. And to each seed its own body. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. 53. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or hell, place of the dead. O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a good place to say, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Now this morning I want to um, go through a series of questions, and um, some may, you, there are questions that you may have asked yourself or pondered. Some of them, like this first one, uh, may have maybe something that actually this one isn't a question; it's a statement. It may be something that you uh, you know settled a long time ago, but uh, it maybe seems very obvious. But I still want to cover it because it builds a a uh, a basis for what we're going to be talking about this morning. But I want to ask a series of questions and try to dig in the scriptures for answers to these questions. This first one, as I said, is not a question but a statement. The statement is, there is more than one type of death. We can die spiritually. And the human race, every one of us, uh, has experienced spiritual death. Most of us in the room have now experienced what it means to be alive spiritually as well. But because of the uh, uh, rebellion of Adam and Eve, our, our, the first human beings against the rule of God, because they decided, they chose that they would rather be their own gods, and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by, um, they unleashed spiritual death upon the race. So we are born, the Bible tells us, teaches us, that we are born spiritually disconnected from God, the only source of life. God, the Bible tells us, breathed into this pile of dirt. And by the way, that's really all you are. (laughs) I'm sorry to inform you of that this morning. But no matter how you pretty it up, it's still a pile of dirt. Sometimes I look myself in the mirror and I say, you stinking pile of dirt. (laughs) But the Bible says that God breathed into that pile of dirt the breath of life. And man became a living being connected vitally with the maker of the universe and alive spiritually. Sin disconnected that relationship And although human beings still walk around, still function, still do lots of really good and and intelligent and wonderful things even, until we come back into connection with God through our faith in Christ Jesus, we are spiritually dead. So you can be spiritually dead. You can also be uh, mentally, emotionally dead. How many of you know what it's like to feel dead in your soul? Yeah. Um. And, of course, we can be dead physically. 
thankfully no one in the room is physically dead today. Uh, you may be by the time I wear you out with this message, but, um, but that's what this is about this morning. We're only focusing on that aspect, physical death. And the, <clears throat> the, uh, the Bible says we will all die physically. In Ecclesiastes uh, 3, verses 1 through the first part of verse 2, it says there's a time to die. To everything there's a season, it says. A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says we have an appointment with death. It says, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, uh, the judgment. So there's an appointment that we all have. It's the common denominator. Every single one of us in this room, no matter how much you don't want to think about it, no matter how much you want to postpone uh, that from happening, every one of us in this room will pass through the portal of death. That's why the title of this message is The Passage. So my first question is, well, what happens when we die? To unbelievers, what happens is they receive the consequence of their choice. Um, And when I say unbelievers, I I, I mean people who have not yet come to faith in Christ. Those who have resisted putting their confidence and their belief in in the saving work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary that made possible our reconnection with God so that we could become spiritually alive. And for those who are unbelievers, the Bible says when they pass from this life into the next, they will reap the consequence of that choice to ignore and resist God. That choice that was made by our race. And I've already I referred to this some this morning, but in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says this. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we often just focus on that tree of the knowledge of good and evil thing, but don't forget there was also in that garden the tree of life. And they were free to eat from it. But they chose not to. The Bible clearly says they chose not to. And instead, rather than just to know good, the goodness of God, Adam and Eve chose to know good and evil. So it's a consequence. Uh, when we pass from this life into the next, if we have not put our faith and trust in Jesus, we will reap the consequence of that choice that was made by us as a race of people, but also as individuals. In um, Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, We all, all of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all, because we have all, all of us have gone astray. He laid our iniquity on his son, Jesus, to pay for that, if we will believe that, accept that. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, uh, excuse me, verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we are reaping the consequence of our own choice 
not just the, uh, the consequence of our choice as a race. And we're reaping the consequence of choice in spite of God's grace. You're all familiar with John 3.16 where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Romans 6.23 says, for the wages or what we earn for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every person who passes from this life into an eternity apart from God will do so because they have fought God all the way there. In his love and his mercy, he pursues us. One author has called him the hound of heaven. He's after you. And there are uh, no exceptions. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man, no one comes to the Father except through me. So unbelievers, when they pass from this life into the next, they will reap the consequences of their choice as being part of a sinful race, as individuals who have turned their backs on God in spite of God's grace that has pursued them and without exception. We don't get to, uh, I've said this before, but we don't get to shoehorn people into heaven just because we think they should be there. Well, that's a, that was a good person. They did nice things. It's not on the basis of goodness or niceness. We don't earn heaven. We don't earn eternal life. You can't earn eternal life. We've been given. We've been offered it. And if we, ta- if we accept it, it's ours. That we don't get to create another avenue to heaven. What happens when we die to unbelievers? Eternal separation from God, from God and all he is. We talk about hell. Listen, dear one, hell was never intended for people. In fact, the Bible clearly says that. Um, verse, uh, Matthew chapter 25 uh, Several verses there it says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Then he will say also to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never designed for people. But when we align ourselves with those who have rebelled against the rule of God, we secure for ourselves the same destiny. So he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Listen, you know, you, you hear the descriptions in the scriptures and, and even what other people you've heard say about hell. And, you know, it's a place of eternal fire and all that. But really, ultimately, what hell is, is being 
totally separate from everything that's God, everything about God. Can you imagine? No, you can't. I, I certainly can't, can't even come close. I cannot grasp at all. Because even in this sin-scarred world, the other day I was out, uh, actually it was a week ago, I was down at our family cabin at Big Bear, and I was just admiring the beauty of the natural world and thanking God. And I, and I just, the thought crossed my mind, even now, in this sin-scarred, broken world, so polluted by uh, rebellion against God, there is still so much of the remnants of his glory and splendor and beauty that it, it creates awe and wonder in us. Can you imagine for a moment what it would have been like to be in that pristine, uh, the pristine splendor of the original creation prior to sin? But then can you also imagine what it would be like if every vestige of the goodness of God was gone? That's hell. How about believers? What happens to a believer when they die or when they pass from this life into the next? The Bible says their spirit is with God. Um, Jesus on the cross said to one of the, the two uh, criminals that were crucified with him, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's no, no in-between place, no sort of, you know, I said this a couple of weeks ago, there's no halfway house, you know. When we pass from this life, those of us who are put, have put our trust in Jesus, we are with him. We are with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The Bible says that when we are there in that eternal glory, that when we, when we uh, are in the eternal presence of God, that we will be recognizable. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, it's like looking at your face in a smudged up mirror. You can't see things very clearly. But then we'll see face to face. Amen. Now I know in part, but then, referring to that, our, our, our time in eternity, our, our being with God, it says, then I shall know just as I also am known. So in eternity, we're not going to be some sort of you know, mystical kind of foam. You know, we're going to be <laughs> recognizable. And yet, different. Thank God, different. <laughs> Mark twelve twenty five says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And we're not going to be angels. Don't get that mixed up. You know, we're not going to spend our eternity strumming hearts on a, uh, harps on a cloud somewhere. But it, the um, uh, gospel writer is recording something that Jesus had to say about uh, helping us to, to understand we're not... Because the question was, okay, if when I go to heaven, who am I going to be married to? Let's say I, my wife uh, dies, on, you know, dies and you know, prematurely goes ahead of me to, her, to heaven. I remarry. When we all get to heaven, who's, whose husband am I going to be? <laughs> And Jesus says, 
you don't get it, do you? <laughs> he said, when you're in heaven, he said, it's not like here. We are going to be recognizable and yet different. Um, and also, it, it says in 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So there will be something of, of uh, the, the, the nature of what God is like that, that we are, are fashioned in and shaped in. And uh, so it's, we, you know, it, it's not like often we think about. We just kind of we, we leave this scene. We show up there with the same warts and everything. You know, the uh, same. No, no, no. It's, there's some elements that are recognizable and yet different. But the glorious thing about heaven, I think, and to me, the most important thing, I, maybe it won't be for you, but for me, is that eternity. Think about this. Eternity. And it's not like we'll be, you know, keeping track with our watches or our calendars. Well, let's see. This is the... 15,001 year of my time. and No, we're not going to keep track of time because time ceases to matter. We're outside of time. Eternity, eternity, no end. And I got to tell you, when I was a kid and thinking about that, I would think, oh, cool. Streets have, you know, paved with gold, pearly gates, all that stuff. But, you know, after a week or so, that's not going to matter so much. What am I going to do for eternity? As an adult, you know, kind of an eternity of doing nothing kind of sounds better. But, but, but we are not headed to an eternal uh, vacation. We are headed to an eternity of partnership with God. Think if, 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 even, if creation is even just a small model of what God, God's intended purposes was or were? Think about the Garden of Eden and how God was part. They had no, uh, the relationship between God and Adam and Eve was intimate and personal. God walked among them. They, they knew each other intimately. And in that partnership, God involved, drew Adam into partnering with him in the care and management and, and um, uh a coordination of his creation. Certainly the God who spoke a word and created the universe has lots going on in his vast domain. And surely his plans for us in eternity have to do with being involved with him in ways we can't even begin to imagine. Well, what about untimely death? Dear one, there is no good time to die and no good way to die. We think about, well, we, you know, I hope that I live for a long, long time. And I hope when I die, I just go out in my sleep, right? <laughs> but you know what? I have done way too many funerals to, to believe that there's anything good about death, period. It was never part of the plan. Every time a person passes from this life into the next, there are people left behind grieving. Every time. 
Sue's mom was 92 years old. Back in March when she passed away, Sue and our oldest daughter were in the, in the hospital room with her as she made that passage. She was not in any pain. She'd lived a long life, knew Jesus, was going into his presence. There couldn't be anything more, better scripted about that uh, passing, and yet there was pain, wasn't there? It was sadness. Not on her part, but on our part. There really, death is always wrong. It always feels wrong because it is. It was never God's intention. Sin brought death on us. And so there's no good way, no good time to die. What about sickness or accident or, or murder? Uh, you know, these are horrible things, but dear one, we live in a broken and hostile world. And as a result of that, uh, there are consequences uh, that we all uh, deal with. My, you've heard me tell this story before, so I won't, I won't uh, bore you with it again, but I'll mention it, that my paternal grandparents uh, were murdered in their own home, beaten to death by a, you know, an invasion, I mean, a, in a home invasion uh, robbery. Um, it was awful. It was horrible. But we live in a world, you know, severely, violently scarred with sin. And we, dear ones, are, we, uh, there is potential exposure to that. I want to talk to you about that in a minute because we do have God's promise of protection. It's not as though we're just some sort of sitting ducks, you know, that uh, every horrible thing that could possibly happen is going to happen to us as well. We have the promise of God's protection. In Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In John 10, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. We have a promise of God's protection. Hebrews 13, 5, the last part of that verse says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But we can step out of God's protection by sin, our sin or our foolishness. There's a way that we can step outside of the protection of God by our sin or foolishness. In fact, what I told you before about my paternal grandparents and their violent death could have been prevented. My parents pleaded with them over and over and over to move away from that neighborhood that was re- becoming increasingly violent. Come live with us. We'll buy, we'll buy a home with a separate house for you to live in where you don't have to be in that environment. But because of their stubbornness and their selfishness and, and all, they, they wouldn't do that. We can step out from under God's protection by our sin and our, our foolishness. Um, but even, even having said all that, that I just said, we don't have perfect understanding. Um, and we should not judge. In fact, in Second Kings... Chapter 13, verse 14, it describes for us the passing of Elisha. Now, Elisha 
was uh, a prophet of God that was known for the miracle power that God worked through him. Mighty miracles. And yet the Bible describes his passing this way. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. And it doesn't seem to indicate anything on his part that he did to particularly earn uh, that passage out of this life except that he lived in a broken, fallen world. So we don't get to judge, and we must be humble and gracious. I remember a time when I, a guy that was in our congregation, one of our churches that we pastored, an older man, but not, you know, he's probably, I don't know, 65, but he, he um, was dying of cancer. And I went to see him, and he was a very well-known and very loved man, and literally there was a parade out his bedroom door onto the street of people who wanted to see him and talk to him and pray for him. I got there and got in line. <laughs> but I, I kept kind of, you could sort of hear the conversations, you know, that were going on in, in that room and as, as I got closer to it. And a lot of the people felt, they were all Christians, and, they, and uh, they felt like it was their obligation to say, you know, this isn't the way God would have you go out. Let's believe God for a miracle. God can heal cancer. Let me pray for you. And certainly all that's true. All that is true. I got to the, my turn. I walked into the room and I felt like the Lord said to me, tell him it's okay. He can die. <laughs> can you get somebody else to do that job, God? And, and I, so I'm wrestling with this. Wait a minute. Why is this my job to say this, you know? <laughs> can you imagine? It's okay. You go ahead and die, will you? <laughs> you know, no. Was, ah. Anyway, so I got to his bed and I said, listen, I, this is going to, I don't know what to tell you. This is what I felt that the Lord said, me, said to say to you. It's okay for you to, to pass from this life into his presence. Guy starts crying. He says, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, the guilt and the, the pressure and the weight that had been placed on his shoulders by that parade of people that somehow if you're a Christian and you really believe God and you really have faith in him and you shouldn't go out this way had, had just depleted him. And the fact that he could just trust God, that if this was the way that he was going to pass into his presence, it would be all right comfort him greatly, comforted him greatly. So we get to move through this with humility and with grace. What about grief? Well, healthy grief is neither guilt nor anger. It is the natural expression of sorrow for loss, but within the embrace of hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14 say, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. We sorrowed at the loss of Sue's mom, because we no longer have, get to see her in this, on this side of things, on this side of eternity. And so there are times when that sorrow will just overcome us. Sue will tell you. It just kind of sneaks up on you. 
that grief. You know, a, memory, a, a memory will come and all of a sudden you just feel that pain. And that's right. And, it, and you have to allow for that and, and let that grief um, take its course. But we don't grieve. We don't sorrow like people who have no hope. We make room for the uh, natural expression of sorrow and loss, but within the embrace of hope. So what is our hope? Well, certainly our hope is not a God's ability to keep us healthy. And God can keep us healthy. But if that's all, I mean, if that's everything, and there are some people, there are some Christians who it's like that's the whole pursuit of their life in Jesus. Keep me healthy so I can live as long as possible. Well, please do that. Live as long as you can. Serve Jesus with everything you've got for as long as you can. But that's not our hope, dear one. If it is, we're in sad shape. Our hope is Christ's victory over death and his gift of eternal life in God's presence. That's our hope. 